reading Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud. When I saw them prosper despite their wickedness, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They are not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace. They clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God. And I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish. For you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Thanks, Kristen. Well, welcome here today. The Erickson Covenant Church, if I haven't met you, my name is Tom. It's great to see you here today. We're continuing with our, our Psalms series, TBH, which if someone asks you for a TBH, they're asking you to be honest, and we've been exploring how by praying the Psalms and integrating the Psalms into our life, they grow us in our honesty. And as a result of that, we become more healthy, spiritually, relationally, emotionally. And we've been on this journey for a while. I know that lots of you are reading three psalms a day. I've been hearing back from you. You've been integrating these different practices into your life as we've been traveling together through the psalm series. I'm really excited about that. Well, let me tell you a story as we begin today about getting lost. Now, my dad is one of those guys who always knows which way is north. How many of you are are that kind of person? I grew up surrounded by people like that. I don't know what it was, but they always knew, you know, which way was north, which way was south. And, and it didn't seem to matter where you were. They could figure that out. You know, drop out of an airplane blindfolded. 
or maybe not blindfolded when you drop them out of the airplane, but you know what I'm saying. Anywhere in the world, and within 10 minutes, they can tell you which direction we got to go to get out of there. My dad is one of those guys. So <laughs> let me tell you about the time that that didn't work, the time he actually got lost. So uh, we went hunting together a few miles from home, and it was gently snowing, but the ceiling wasn't too low. We were okay. So we got into some swampy northern Alberta bush country, and some of you are really familiar with that. Hey, it's not like being here where there's always a mountain around to point to, right? You get out there and it's scrubby little poplar and little like swampy tamarack, larch they call it here. And, 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 and you know, it's all kind of frankly the same. But we're okay, and I'm with Dad anyway, so no problem. So we're walking around for a couple of hours, but as we're doing it, the snow is getting a bit heavier, and then a fog begins to settle in, gently, gently. But after a while, we start to realize we can't see very well. Hunting's done for the day. Let's go back to the truck. So we go back to the truck. We start walking back to the truck. Dad knows which way the truck is, doesn't he? Well, I'm confident, and he's confident, except we walk for quite a ways, and we're not coming back to the truck. And, in fact, we're starting to feel like we just might not be going the right direction. My dad, you can tell, he's starting to think, okay, yeah, 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 we're good. We're somewhere. And then, you know what happened next? We came across our own tracks. But the problem was the tracks weren't coming this way. The tracks were going that way, which meant what? We'd come back on our own tracks, heading the same direction. And we thought, oh my goodness, that's not good. Which way's the truck? So we try to configure things, but the fog is really settling at that point. You can only see a few things close up. It's like a murk, right? And you can't find out which way. So we're talking about this, we're talking about this, and Dad reconfigures things. Yeah, I really think it's this way, so let's go. So we start walking another 20 minutes or so. I'm 14. But I'm getting this sense within me that this is not the right way. And, uh, you know, it's growing in me. Dad, I don't think this is the way back to the truck, you know. And so he, um, my dad, if you've met him, you know, he's not one of those guys that's like, ah, oh, shut up, kid, you know, I know which way to go. He's a humble guy. and He's always been open to us. Little side parenting tip there. He's a good dad. Always been open to what we have to say. So he stopped. He took me seriously. He's like, okay, really? Do you think? Because at that point he realized, <laughs> He was confused. He didn't know actually which way to go. North was not coming, you know. And so um, I said, Dad, I really think it's not that way. I really think it's that way. And uh, he said, all right, at that point, like, hey, (laughs) what difference is it going to make? Let's go for it. And so we start walking the way that I feel we need to go. And and, and as we're going, I'm feeling better and better about this. I'm not sure what he's feeling at that point. Uh, and, and, And as we're walking, probably 45 minutes, the fog did begin to lift a bit, and we emerged out of a tree line finally, and lo and behold, there was the truck. I've never let Dad live that down. Because I'm not one of those guys who could, I mean, it's easy in this valley. Oh, man, you guys, if you were born and raised here, you've had it so sweet all your life. It's so easy to know which way is north and south. Come on. But where I was raised, it could get confusing, and I was not one of those guys who always knew. But my dad was, and so there we are. It's easy to lose perspective, though, isn't it? When you can't see far enough ahead to put the things that are closest to you in their proper perspective. When all you can see is what's close and not what's far, it's hard to plot 
direction. It's hard to get orientation. It's difficult to know which way you're going. And I think it's easy for us then to lose perspective even in our own lives. A fog can settle in. Have you ever felt that? Where it's like you've become blind to what's ahead. You can only see what's up close. And even that is obscuring recognizable markers. And as a result, you're feeling disoriented. You end up, we end up wandering around, somewhat confused, beginning to make decisions that are wasting precious energy and time. Maybe we're making decisions that aren't moving us in the right direction. Even decisions that begin to hurt relationships around us. And certainly in that place of disorientation, we're not experiencing all that God longs for us to experience in terms of purpose and meaning. How do we regain lost perspective? How do we find some reorientation to discover where we are? Well, through the Psalms, we are learning to be honest with our lives. And today, we're going to look at Psalms that help us regain honest perspective. We started our series after our introductory week. We started our series by looking at the two largest categories of psalms. Remember what they were? The lament psalms, that was last week, and the thanksgiving psalms, which can be easily summarized in two words. What can we summarize the lament psalms as? Help! Yeah. And thanksgiving psalms, well, that's a bit of a giveaway, but thanks. Help and thanks. But there actually are quite a variety of other types of psalms as well. And one of those types of psalms are wisdom psalms. Wisdom psalms are, are, are like other biblical wisdom literature, like, um, oh, let's see, the book of Proverbs, even the book of James. They're, they're like other wisdom literature in that they feature practical instruction for wise living. And they often will contrast throughout the life of the godly and the wise with the life of the wicked and the foolish. We'll often contrast them. Wisdom literature as a whole is designed to put our lives in proper perspective, to set our puny, confused, short lives in the context of God's whole story, what he's actually doing, not just in our lives, but over, the, over generations, throughout history, even in all of creation. And, and as a result, wisdom literature helps us understand then how our daily choices, choices to love, choices to forgive, choices to serve, choices to, 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 to change directions in life, those daily choices to be faithful, to have integrity, The wisdom literature helps us understand how those daily choices actually do make sense in light of God's whole plan. Wisdom psalms, uh, psalms such as Psalms 1, uh, Psalm 37, there's lots of others. Some of them listed on that bookmark you were given. And if you need a bookmark still for your daily psalms reading, there are some out on the Dream Team uh, booth there. But these psalms do exactly that. By praying these psalms, by integrating them into your life, we begin to get a bigger perspective on our lives. We begin to get God's perspective on our lives. By internalizing them and praying them, we then begin to, as it were, live out our prayer, living according to God's wisdom. Now, in some way, all the Psalms do this. All the Psalms help us gain honest perspective, help us see uh, what's really true, identify what's false, uh, uh, identify how we are to live rightly. And all the Psalms do that. All, All of Scripture does that. But the wisdom psalms in particular help us gain 
honest perspective in some very particular ways. And we're going to walk through Psalm 73, which Kristen already read for us. We're going to walk through that a little more slowly and break down its movements to see how this psalm in particular, but the wisdom psalms as a whole, begin to shift our perspective. So you want to keep out that insert. Um, Some portions of it will be on the screen, but most of it won't be. So um, let's, let's dive right into it. Psalm 73 from the New Living Translation. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. You know, this psalmist, his name is Asaph, probably one of the worship leaders of the community. He opens up with the truest fact he knows, that God is good to his people. And this is important because, as we're going to see, he has lost sight of that. Or he did lose sight of that for a while. Things began to pull his attention away from this and as it were he got lost in the fog and he began to question the most foundational truth of his life the most foundational truth of our lives that god is good and because he's good he can be trusted even when we can't see very far ahead by starting here at this foundational fact asaph now takes us on his own personal journey of how he lost perspective and then how he regained it how he regained this honest perspective. Listen to how it happened for him. Starting in verse 2, he said, God is good. He started with verse 1. God is good. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. I was almost gone. I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens. Their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Let me ask you, just hearing that, what was causing this believer, this poet, this worship leader, this faithful follower of Yahweh, what was causing him to lose sight of God's goodness? Shout it out. I'll repeat it for the recording because of those who listen in. Um, Shout it out. What caused him to lose perspective? Say it. Envy. What else? Jealousy. He was comparing. Let me check my Instagram here. I'm trying to do a little comparison of my life with everyone else's. What else? What was causing him to lose perspective? Despair. Persecution. What's that? Lack of hope, depression, a sense of like futility, like, man, what is going on here? How come they're succeeding? And I'm not. Anything else? What caused him to lose perspective? Not seeing that God act? Okay, yeah. Okay, so he's looking at other people, not at God. That's a comparison thing in particular, but it's like his eyes had shifted, right? By looking at the luxury, the success, 
the apparent happy lives of, well, the wicked, those who aren't even worried about doing what's right, haven't even concerned themselves about loving others or honoring God, he begins to feel a dissonance, doesn't he? In, in, in his own life, he, a dissonance between what he believes, God is good, his ways are right, faithfulness is the right way to live, and what he observes around him. People who reject all that seem to be doing just great. Something doesn't add up. What I know, but what I observe. It's not adding up. And what's the effect of that? Well, the poet starts questioning the value of living according to God's ways. He begins to wonder whether doing right really matters because frankly, from what he's experienced, doing right can land you in trouble. Whereas those who do wrong seem to be having a whale of a time. Listen to where he goes. Verse 13. After processing all this, he says, Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Listen, losing honest perspective is so, so easy, isn't it? When following Jesus just doesn't seem to be working because you thought, you thought, you thought that if you followed Jesus, things would get better. Things would be easier. You you wouldn't have as many problems. And suddenly you find you've got a whole set of new problems. And following Jesus actually isn't that easy after all. When perhaps, perhaps doing what's right doesn't get rewarded at all. We all have a mutual friend who likes to say, no good deed goes unpunished. And that's exactly how this guy's feeling. You're doing what's right, but man, it's not, not only not getting rewarded, I'm getting in trouble for it. When your expectations for life are up here, but reality consistently comes in somewhere down here. You have faith and trust in God's goodness, in God's provision, and yet it seems like you keep coming up short. And then you look around, and then you look around and say, look at all these people. They're not sweating the small stuff in the slightest. In fact, they're not sweating any stuff. Not the big, not the small, nothing. They don't waste an ounce of energy serving others. They aren't remotely concerned with faithfulness. They aren't trying to have integrity in their business or in their relationships. And they just got promoted above me. They're being celebrated every day. Some of them just got elected. Not in the Creston Valley. I just mean broadly speaking. So I want to drive this home. I want you to consider this question. Personally. What causes you to lose honest perspective? What is it for you that causes you to forget, to be disoriented, to lose honest perspective? If you're brave enough, I'd love to hear it. You can just talk about your neighbor if you'd like. What causes them to lose perspective? You know, keep it in the third person and we'll all think you're not talking about yourself. Mike. Stress. Yeah. Failure. Pain. Comparison.
<laughs> well, that's what they are, aren't they? Well, I don't feel like that, though. Opportunities for patience. It's a nice spin on I'm extremely frustrated with my life. Yes. Illness, did you say, Suze? Yes. Illness can cause us to lose honest perspective. What else, Arna? Disappointment. Absolutely. Yeah, conflict, for sure. Yeah, that can cause us to lose perspective. The news can, can, yes, by focusing on the news, we can lose honest perspective. That's true. And then I heard two other voices, I think. Being lied to. Was there someone else as well? Lack of sleep. Hands up. Lack of sleep. How many of you lose honest perspective due to lack of sleep? And, you know, three quarters of our problems would probably go away if we just got a full hour's night. Full full hour. Yeah. Well, some of you, some of you are just looking for a full hour's sleep. Full night's sleep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We can lose honest perspective. We can believe lies we've been told about ourselves, about others. We can be distracted by busyness. The scripture actually warns that we can be easily distracted by our wealth. In fact, the consistent warning of wealth is how it distracts our hearts. We can be distracted by difficulty. We can be distracted or lose honest perspective when we become disconnected from God's people, from shared worship and shared uh, word. Well, this psalmist, he took his eyes off of Yahweh, and he got distracted by the success of others, particularly in his case, the wicked, the evil, the boastful, the proud. And he wondered if remaining faithful was really all that practical in light of their success. See what's going on here? Like, does it really work? Does following the teachings of Jesus really work? I mean, because look around you, folks. Doesn't seem to be working in my life. Doesn't seems to seems like if you disregard it, it works fine for them. Does it really work? And it's not just the wicked, like you know, Asaph's riffing on all the worst people in the world. It feels like, but it's not just the wicked who get our goat. I think we are enticed by the normal Canadian life. We look at our neighbors. We look at our workmates, we look at our school buddies or members of our blood family, and we see them living however they want to live, doing whatever they want to do, sleeping with whomever they want to sleep with, spending the money however they want to spend it, doing whatever they want with their days off, frankly, doing anything they want without ounce of guilt or care or obligation, and we wonder, why do I even bother following Jesus anyway? I mean, why do I give so much to the church for crying out loud? I could spend it on myself. I could spend it on my grandkids. Why am I giving so much? Why am I giving sacrificially? Why am I worrying about my lonely neighbor? Surely they should have family taking care of them. And why am I serving these rotten kids after all? Who likes snot? I don't like snot. I don't want to take care of this kid. Okay, I'll take care of the ones that I birthed or made. But come on. You know. Speaking of which, we're looking still for three more teachers for our eight to ten-year-olds. But they, they've learned to blow their own noses, so you are set. Yeah. But you wonder, right, why am I working so hard to address personal things in my life, uh, habits that are pulling me away from God or, or, or hidden areas of sin in my life? Why am I working on all this? 
because no one else seems to care, and they're doing just fine. I want us to feel the weight of that tension as Asaph brings it up. I want you to feel the dissonance, to acknowledge, you know, God says live this way, and look what it gets us. Others don't seem to care about what God says, and look how they're doing. Do you feel that? Do you feel that tension? That's what he's drawing our, our minds. This is the process and the journey that he went on. How can this be resolved? We, it's like we're stumbling around in a foggy northern Alberta swamp, and we're wondering, how are we going to get out of this? How will this be resolved? Well, how did Asaph recover his perspective? He goes on with his story. After all of this reflection on, you know, is it worth it? Is it, is it worth being faithful? It looks like the wicked are succeeding. He says, then. Verse 17, then. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God. This would be the place of worship of God's people. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Now for Asaph, it wasn't until he got his eyes back on God. Particularly as he gathered with God's people to worship and exalt God for who he is, for what he's done, for how he has been faithful, for the plans he has for his people, for the goodness that he has continued to reveal over and over again to each one of us, down through history, through the story, and each and every day. It was at that moment, he says, that he emerged from the fog. It was at that moment that he saw what was clear, what he had forgotten, what he had missed. He finally understood, he said, the destiny of the wicked. In other words, he got the bigger picture. His story, his, his struggle, his suffering, the contrast, everything going on around him was suddenly set in a larger time frame, in a God frame, in a history frame, in what God was doing and how God was faithful and how God is just. We was, he was now able to understand his life of faithful struggle in the larger context of God and what he was doing. Now, as followers of Jesus, we know the fuller story. We know that Jesus came to die for the wicked. He came to actually alter the destiny of the evil, evil ones, to actually make sinners saints. This is what we celebrate when we gather, the good news, that it doesn't matter how far we were away from God, it doesn't matter how much we rejected him, it doesn't matter how rotten we were, that Jesus came to offer us freedom and life. And if we would turn and receive, we get it, right? That's awesome, and we celebrate that. That Jesus came to welcome the outcast and to make everyone part of the family of God. And how many stories have we heard over and over again of people who are far away, people who would be classified as the wicked and the evil and the rotten, who were destroyers of others, who came to an understanding of, of, of their sin, but of God's goodness, and they turned to him and received God's grace and became part of his family. It's amazing. That's all true. But what's significant here is this. We often judge present faithfulness based on current results. 
We often judge present faithfulness based on current results. And based on those current results, we then judge whether what we're doing or not doing is actually working or not. Whether it's right or not. And what we find out, now the Psalms and all of Scripture gives us honest perspective, we find out that present faithfulness actually cannot be judged accurately if we only see today. Or if we only see the results of tomorrow. Or, and this is hard for us, if we only judge it based on a single lifetime. God's ways are right. And they're holy. And they're true. And they're wise. And they will, in the end, result in glory and goodness and justice and redemption. And it's in worship that Asaph begins to see clearly again. That the wicked, the evil, uh, the destroyers, that they may appear successful today. It may look as though they're winning tomorrow, but that is only because, only because, the grace of God is giving them time to turn, a chance to repent an opportunity for them to change their ways and respond to his offer of grace. Because there will come a day when they will be held to account, when we will all be held to account. There will come a day when evil will be judged, when the wicked will be destroyed. And Asaph reflects on how, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's in an instant. It doesn't feel like that when we're in the middle of it. But that there will come a day when wicked people will be destroyed if they have not thrown themselves on the grace of and the mercy of Jesus as he offers it to them. God's future promises define our present faithfulness. He's promised us resurrection. He's promised us full recreation. He's come to live in us by his Holy Spirit to guarantee that future and so that we can begin to experience it in the present now. And as we experience that, he's called us to continue to bear the cross, the suffering of Jesus in the short term so that we can experience his goodness and glory in the long run. This is so important. Paul, the great apostle and church planter, Paul, he acknowledged this in one of his letters to Christians in Rome, right at the center of this evil empire. And he said to them this in Romans 8. He said, Now, since we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. He's, we're in the middle of a big argument here, but I'm coming to it just his main, the main point I'm drawing out. And he says, This is all true if we share in his sufferings, Jesus' sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. Sufferings and glory are connected. And then he says this. This is the one I want you to hear. Romans 8.18 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You hear that? Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. God's future promises define our present faithfulness. Well, for Asaph, it's not only in that moment that destiny, the destiny question is settled, the destiny is understood, he also is able to reflect on the disorientation that he's experiencing. He realizes that his mind has been clouded, but also his heart has become bitter. And worshiping the Father by the Spirit, through Jesus, leads to this kind of renewal in us, heart and mind. Look where he goes next, verse 21. Then I realized my heart was bitter. And I was all torn up inside. 
It was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. Don't you love that? In, in all the confusion we can experience, to the point where we can even call ourselves senseless animals, he acknowledges that through the confusion, God was still holding his right hand. Isn't that beautiful? It means that God is still holding the hand of some very confused people. I think we can all take some encouragement in that. Right? God is still holding the hands of confused kids. God is still holding the hands of someone who's experiencing significant doubt in their life. God is still holding our hands when we question, when we wonder, when we're discouraged, when we're like Asaph, when we're thinking, is it even worth it anymore? We discover that even through our doubt, God still holds our hand. We still belong to him. It's a beautiful picture. Asaph goes on, verse 24, you guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. And Asaph had no idea of the fullness of that glorious destiny that was going to be available to him. But we have got a fuller picture because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, whom am I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. And my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everything, everyone about the wonderful things you do. In worship, turning our eyes and our hearts fully toward God, the fog lifts. By integrating and praying these psalms, we begin to see that God is the strength of our heart, that he is the one that we desire more than anything else on earth. And we see him and we see our whole lives set back into honest perspective. You know, we see what we've missed. We are able to acknowledge where we've failed, where we've been confused, and all through that, be able to see how God has been good, how he has continued to hold our hand, how we still belong to him. Well, let's bring this home. In that last verse, Asaph says, but as for me, how good it is to be near God, right? But you know, that's not the first time he used this phrase in this psalm, is it? He actually started his journey saying, but as for me, what did he say? My foot had almost slipped. As for me, I'd almost slipped, right? And these two phrases, they help us reflect on how we both lose honest perspective and regain it. So let me ask you just just a moment of reflection. You can take this with you into the week ahead. First of all, but as for me, my foot had almost slipped. Where have you lost perspective in your life? You don't need to shout this out. This is for your own reflection. This is for you to take with you and think about this week. Where have you lost perspective? Where is it that you've almost slipped? What has caused you to to begin to wonder if being faithful even matters anymore? Where have you lost perspective? But as for you, what is that area in your life? Because through this psalm, through our gathering, you're being invited by the Father to acknowledge the ways that you've lost perspective, the ways that your eyes have shifted, the things that have filled your vision and caused you to forget how good God is in his ways 
are perfect. So what is it for you? And then second question is the second, but as for me. But as for me, I've made God my shelter, he says. But as for me, I'm going to tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. But as for me, and I, I'd like to invite you as, you as you think about how you have lost perspective or how your perspective has become sh- shadowed or, or cloudy or foggy, now, having been reoriented around the goodness of God, what are you going to say now? What's the declaration that you need to make? What's the, what's the renewal of commitment or covenant faithfulness? What, what are you saying in response to God? Ooh. In response to God and His goodness. But as for you, but as for me, I will. Praise God. I will remember your goodness. I will acknowledge how your ways are right. What is it that you as you would fill in the blank. But as for me, what? We lose perspective and we regain it. I invite you to take those two questions with you into the week as you reflect, as you remember, as you continue to pray the Psalms. I also, as we close, want to offer you another integrating practice. Now, we've been offering these integrating practices along the way and they're designed to help us implement like act on. Like I hope you've been reading three psalms a day, and these have been meant to come alongside and just deepen our experience in the psalms. Today's integrating practice that I'd like to invite you to consider is personalizing a psalm. Now, maybe you've done that before. It's actually quite simple. To start with, you can just take any psalm that has, has piqued your interest or caught your heart as you've been reading along. It could be the psalm we looked at today. It could be a, a psalm you, you've read this last week. It could be the lament psalm that you memorized last week as a result of the integrating practice from last week. But it can be any psalm at all. And you just simply take it and you begin to personalize it. Some of you will want to write this out in your journal. Some of of you might want to type it up. But you take a psalm, like, let me use a really familiar example because it'll be easy to show it. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I shall not, you know, I I lack nothing. So you say, Jesus you are my shepherd. Because you're my shepherd, I know that you're going to care for me. You are the one who leads me beside quiet waters. You are the one who guides me into green pastures. You, you see where I'm going with this? You simply personalize the psalm. You make it a, a prayer uh, and expressing between you and the Father, between you and Jesus. You you can say, Holy Spirit, thank you for guiding me through the valley of the shadow of death so that I am never afraid of evil. You personalize it in any way that seems right to you. You just make it a a, a genuine personal prayer from you to God. Pick a psalm, any psalm, and personalize it this week. That's your integrating practice. As we close today, I simply want to point you back to Jesus. I want you to remember that Jesus who lived a most holy, most righteous, perfectly loving, true life, the truest, most honest, most loving life that anyone has ever lived. He never sinned. He never rejected his father's ways. He never lost sight of what he was, who he was, what he was doing. And yet, faithful as he was, he suffered more than any human being ever suffered. In the end, he cried out from the cross, from one of the lament psalms, Psalm 22, he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He became, in the words of Paul later on in the New Testament, the one who knew no sin became sin for us. From the life of Jesus, we know this. Current success. Current happiness. The size of your bank account. The success of your business. I love it. That does not bother me, people. Let's just take a moment and just enjoy the fact that we have kids delighting in church. Yeah, I love it. I love it. In the life of Jesus, we know this. Current success, happiness, wealth, how good everything's going in your business, or even how good everything's going at home. Those are not true indicators of faithfulness. They're not nor is suffering or difficulty or hardship an accurate judge of whether what we are doing is right or wrong. I mean, it can be if you're being dumb. I just want to say that as a qualifier. But it's not our ultimate guide. We don't look around and say, oh, this ain't working because look how bad it's going. No. Jesus, who was perfect, suffered more than all. Jesus was condemned as a failed Messiah. And then he rose again from the dead. He was mocked as a tragic farce on Friday. They danced around his tomb on Saturday, and then he showed up in resurrection power on Sunday. And he rules and he reigns today, and he's still bringing all of creation to its intended goal. And his followers continue to experience difficulty along the way, as well as blessing. He is present with us in the suffering, but we still suffer, which is why we need these psalms of lament, as well as these psalms of thanksgiving, because we are following after Jesus. So take heart. Be encouraged. As we gather the fog list, and we see with honest perspective that God is holding our hand, that his ways are right, as he's leading us forward, he's not going to let go. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that we can regain honest perspective as we look to you, as we gather for worship, as we pray these songs. I pray for those of us today who have lost perspective, where the fog has settled in, and and we're just feeling disoriented by life and relationships, by what's going on in our extended family, what's, what's going on in our business or at school. We've lost perspective and we acknowledge that. And I I pray for all those who find themselves in that place today. That even this morning as we've gathered to worship, as we've heard this psalm, as we've prayed the psalms throughout the week, that you would help us be reoriented by who you are, by the larger story of what you're doing, by your faithfulness and goodness to us which never fails. May all of us who have lost perspective regain it. May we as your people keep remembering who you are, setting our present life and our current faithfulness in light of your promises which never fail. Would you bless us as we go today and we continue to be people who give hope and life and joy, offering freedom and forgiveness that is in you.
have one we need. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you today. I hope you can join us for coffee time. Oh, yes. And lots of food from yesterday's celebration of life. We just <laughs> Celebration of life for Stanley just continues as we eat more food together. God bless.